Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 63. Sam read that for us a few moments ago. We'll be looking at that uh, for the uh, heartbeat of our message this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, uh, my name's Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. We're in week three of this series called uh, Because God, looking at who God is and what that can mean to us in our everyday life. Uh, in week one, Michael DeFazio spoke about Because God Delivers, I Can Be Delivered. And we, we looked at uh, a psalm that spoke about how God plans to take us from the wreck that we've made of ourselves because of his love for us. And then last week we looked at because God is merciful, we can repent. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And in repentance, we find the life we're to have with him and what he desires for us. Today I want to focus on the presence of God and its guidance in our life, but I want to take the long way around to get there. And hopefully at the end, we'll draw it all together. But I want to take you on a journey through a little bit of theology this morning that I hope encourages your heart and uh, sets your feet just a little bit lighter and in a clearer direction. Uh, I could have focused when I talk about the guidance of God. We could have focused on the Holy Spirit, which would have been very much worth our time. We could be focusing on spiritual disciplines. Uh, But I really wanted to focus on something that I think for me in my journey has caused me frustrations because I didn't understand it. And hopefully it'll help each of us. Uh, by maybe you'll know what I'm experiencing, or maybe it'll help you question some of the things and the journeys that you've had with God and how you get there. So we want to focus on gratitude, on the fact that God will guide, guide us. So because God is for us, uh, I can find guidance. The fact that God is for us, the fact that this immeasurable God has allowed himself to be known by us is our blessing. Proverbs 9.10 is a standard proverb that many people would know, even though they didn't know it was in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is where I want to focus on. If we're going to be led by God, then we need to know who God is, we need to know what He desires, and we need to know who we are in His eyes. You see, this wisdom of who God is sets our feet straight. The theologians would like to refer to it as transcendence. And the easiest way to take this big, big concept of transcendence about God and simply uh, make it understandable in this moment is a term that some theologians use, which I like, it's more simple, his beyondness. How he is bigger than us, wiser than us, stronger than us, different than us. How all of that measures together wears us out. And we think about the transcendence of God, that we can't understand God. We can't put him in a box and present him in this one little tiny 3D uh, implementation. We can't do it. But what is it about the beyondness of God? And what does it mean to us each and every day? You see, I believe that this transcendence of God, this bigness of God, this beyondness of God either repels us or it draws us in. And so we say, well, how can we spend the next 30 minutes talking about the thing that's undefinable about God? Well, we do it by equating it to things that we know about ourselves. For instance, have you ever sat at, the, at the, a beach, at the ocean, or a large lake, and just become mesmerized by how big it is? Have you ever walked through a forest, and the thousands of trees, all different kinds, the height, the 
how long they've been there. Have you ever stopped and become frightened? Most of us don't get frightened when we're in the woods. In fact, we're, we're silenced, aren't we? We're humbled. We stand there, we take it all in. I remember being a kid sitting on the, the beach at Lake Michigan wondering how many gallons were in it. Because I'm not good at math and I don't concentrate very long, I soon moved on. But for that moment, the transcendence of nature got to me. I, I share this way too often, but it's what comes to my mind. Have you ever seen a sunset and become overwhelmed at how many different hues of yellow or orange are in that moment in the sky? Or I had the opportunity to be in Kenya, and I was sitting in a lawn chair in an open field with no city lights, and I saw more stars in that evening than I'd seen in all my entire life combined. Have you ever noticed that when the nature and the transcendence of nature gathers around us, we're drawn into it? We desire to know more. We want to spend more time on a mountaintop or out in an open field or we want to walk through the woods or we want to stick our feet in the ocean and imagine that our feet are occupying one smallest percentage. You see, I'm here to tell you that when you think about the transcendence of God, it can't always blow your mind away. Sometimes it draws your heart in. And maybe God blows our minds to awaken our hearts. So when we talk about this transcendence, this beyondness of God, you have to know that we live in a world that's trying to explain it all away. We're living in a world that's trying to measure the truth and say that God was simply a device that people created in their minds and hearts to explain things they couldn't explain. In other words, God is for the ignorant. But now that we're so smart and we can measure things so well, we can figure all of this out and you don't need a God. And the transcendence of God either repels or it draws us in. I'd like to tell you what I see in the 63rd Psalm. The first thing I see is this. The human heart needs intimacy with the infinite. The human heart needs to have intimacy with this infinite transcendent God. We're not repelled by him. We're drawn into him. The thing that repels us from God is he's right and we're wrong. That's what bothers us. But the fact that there is a God is undeniable. Proverbs says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Because we all know from creation alone that he exists. You see, this is not just a good idea to pursue God. It's necessary. Verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. David draws from his own experience something that would have made sense to his audience. He says, have you ever had that moment where you're desperately in need of a drink and nothing will satisfy you? Chocolate won't satisfy you. A steak won't satisfy you. Pizza won't satisfy you. ESPN won't satisfy you. And a pile of money in your pocket won't satisfy you. What do you need? A drink. And David uses this duplication of saying, not only am I thirsty, but my body longs for you. He say that there is a God, and each one of us, deep in our souls, seeks the transcendent God to be known, to have a relationship with him. Every one of us is seeking this form of transcendence, but not all of us are seeking God's transcendence. Many of us are seeking entertainment, satisfaction, conquest. We're trying to satiate this thirst with something, but we all thirst, church. We all have and wonder, what is it beyond this lifetime? What is it beyond my control? What brings all of this together? Who created all of this and all the intricacies of nature? We're thirsting for this. Have you ever had a moment where you were 
uh, dying of thirst. A few of us in this room have probably experienced dehydration. It's not fun. I remember a baseball game, real hot during the summer, and I caught a doubleheader, and I remember that I wasn't feeling very well, and I started saying things, and people were looking at me like, stop being funny, and I wasn't, they weren't seeing what I was seeing. And the coach walked over and asked me a question, and I'll never forget him reaching down and grabbing the meat on my forearm, and he pinched it. And when he pinched it, it stayed pinched. It didn't float back down. And he looked at one of the coaches, and he said, we need to take him to the emergency room right now. He's dehydrated. And I didn't know, I don't remember much of the trip, but I do remember this. We were in the, the room and the nurse came in and I happened to know the nurse because she was a, anyway, I, I knew her. This was back when I was in high school. And she walked in and she said, we're going to give you an IV bag. And she brought in this big bag of, full of liquid. And both of my legs cramped instantly when I saw the bag of liquids. Now, it's one of those kind of cramps you get in the middle of the night when you're under the sheets and you don't want to wake up the house, but your mind says to yourself, so this is how I die, right? <laughs> Am I, okay, I'm not the only one. Your legs cramp and you're like, oh, and you want to scream or cuss or just die. And my legs locked up and she laughed because she said my body saw what it needed and reached out for it. Do you hear what David just told us? My soul cramps without God. And when the presence of God is seen in nature or in a loving, obedient act of sacrifice, our souls cramp because it needs that. It wants that. It wants nothing else, and nothing will replace that. This is what David wants us to understand about the transcendence of God. We need intimacy with the infinite. Alvin Toffler, who's a social scientist, said that since 1945... In the United States alone, over 1,000 different religions have been started. What does that tell us? That the world can try to explain God away, but the thirst for God exists, and it continues to exist, and people are trying to find their way home. They're seeking that which is beyond them, to find meaning, to find purpose, and to find life. So the truth is, we all need intimacy with the infinite. So let's go to the second part. How do we do this? How in a world of competition do we overcome this? How do we find intimacy with the infinite? How can you say that God is bigger than anything? We can't put him in a box. We can't define him crystal clear and all of this, but we're supposed to be intimate with him. It's because God took the gap between you and me and he closed it. He shortened the distance through Jesus. Verse 2. David said what he's hungry for is because he's have, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He said, I've, I've seen who you are. Knowing this, we all have a thirst for something bigger than us. And some of us are trying to fill it with things that are smaller than us. And then we wonder why we're always thirsty. And why our soul is never happy, satisfied, or content. You see, you have to be careful For many of us, we can say, well, I'm a Christian. Mark, I am. I I made a profession of faith in Jesus, and I believe Jesus is real. So because of that, then I'm connected to God. No, no, there's a difference between God saving you and you having a relationship with him. That's why in church after church across the globe, a number of people will make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and then turn around and walk right back into the life they had before they met him, as if nothing's changed. Christianity is not about being saved. It's about being connected with the transcendent God. 
It's about having a real life with him. Not just an occasional Sunday, I'll meet you at church life. But an everyday connection to the thirst that we were created to find fulfilling. Okay, that's, that's third shelf. That's all of this big statements by your preacher to gather your attention. Let me pose a question. A question that's bothered me for the last 15 years. And I'm curious your honest reaction to it. Now, I'm not asking you to answer because I know you won't. But I'm not asking you to, okay? I'm asking you to think what the answer is in your heart. So here's the question. Do you pray often enough? If your answer is no, then I want you to ask yourself why. No, in fact, what I want you to do is react to your own answer. If your answer is I don't pray enough and you get angry when I ask it, because praying is ridiculous, there's no God, this is foolishness, we're just confusing ourselves, this is the great placebo for, for people, we're going to believe there's a God to overcome the fact that we're not in control. If, if you became angry, I'm curious. But for most of us, I wonder when I ask you the question, if you pray enough, if your instant response isn't regret. Regret because you realize that the almighty, powerful God is available to have a relationship with you in your everyday activities, and we've decided to become too busy doing things that don't matter at all. I can tell you the Notre Dame score yesterday, but did I spend any time with the God who gave me the joy of living in this earth? You see, if you're angry, you don't believe that there's a God or you don't believe it's worth your time. But for many of us, we're fearful that at the end of our lives, we're going to look back and say, I could have had more with God and I didn't choose to take it. Is that where you're at? Then the transcendence of God has created a thirst in you. And the Bible wants you to understand through Jesus Christ how you fulfill it. Instead of just saying, I have Jesus. No, no, are you with Jesus? And is he with you? David said, I beheld your glory. Does your heart beat for that thirst to be filled and to understand where it comes from? Then I want to show you three things David does here, which is just powerful for me. First of all, seek the transcendence of God as an end in itself. This is the first step that David cries out in the, in the psalm, that he seeks God for who God is, not for anything else. It says in verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. We'll never experience the transcendence of God if it becomes a means to get something else. It has to be the means in and of itself. I'll explain it this way. David's the author of this psalm, and we talked about it last week if you were here with us, that David shattered his life. He lost his reputation. It shattered his family. He lost his throne for a period of time, and everything that he had was taken from him because of his adultery, his choice to sin against God and sleeping with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. And in this moment, he writes this psalm after that. And David doesn't cry out in this psalm, God, would you restore to me everything I threw away? Would you make my life comfortable and easy? God, would you give me back peace? Would you restore my reputation? God, I've worked hard for you. Can't you catch me a break here? David doesn't cry out any of that in this psalm. What David cries out is, your love is better than life. That's all he wants. He's not asking for God to love him so he gets something. He asks God to know God's love because that is something. In fact, it's the only thing. David said, I've had all that life can offer, but at the end of the day, what I really need to know is that I'm loved. And I believe many times, too many times in fact, that I want to experience God because I want the high of experiencing God 
not that I want to experience God. Does that make sense? I want the feeling. I want the rush. I want the satisfaction. I want to know that I've evolved. I want to know that I'm better than some, that I've experienced something that people behind me haven't. And I've turned God into a means to an end instead of the end. And the transcendence of God is to realize that the God of almighty creation, the God who filled every ounce of Lake Michigan and every body of water that blows my mind, that God wants to pay attention to me. And yet many times I won't pay attention to him because I'm too busy being entertained or seeking to be satisfied with an easier remedy than what he offers me. I'd like to experience God so I get what I want. And David says, I just want to experience God. David said, you're the end and of itself. I need you. And if you've ever said, God, if you're here, I'll do anything if you'll just answer this prayer. Have you ever cried out to God in one of those moments of despair? Don't be embarrassed. Because if any of you told me no, I'd maybe think you're lying. Or covering yourself with pride. We barter with God, don't we? God, if you protect me and don't expose me, I'll never do that again. We barter with God all the time. And instead of crying out, God, if you're here, then answer this prayer. How about we just pray, God, if you're here, let that be enough. And that's the prayer I want to challenge you with this week. If the transcendent God of the universe is paying attention to you, wouldn't that be enough? To know that he's intent on living with you, in you, and through you. Not just available by call as needed. And David shows us that this is possible. But we have to want God over wanting God to do something for us. The second thing David does here is he shows me that I should expect through Jesus the transcendence of God is to be ours. That from what Jesus did, this gap between this immeasurable God and this measurable me has been erased. David does something beautiful in the first verse. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. David very rightly should have said, I am not worthy to speak your name after all that I've done in rebellion of you. The fact that you, even, that you allow me to live should be enough. But David doesn't do that. David knows who he is because he knows who God is. And God is not a record keeper. God's not up there counting how many good days you've had compared to how many bad days you've had and doing the math. And he's not going to loan you two good days to overcome your bad days. God doesn't keep the record because God is into you. If you think that God is a record keeper, you've misunderstood. Have you noticed that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us? Which means while we were antagonistic to God, he loved us. What makes you think in your failure, he's going to stop loving you? Church, is that good news? Because this just felt like a funeral here for just a moment. Like we're dealing with something we can't fix. I'm here to tell you it's true. That if God loved you while you were the enemy, what makes you think he's going to love you less in your failure? And in this, we know. You see, there's no secret handshake, no secret password. The character of God, the transcendence of God, is willing to limit itself to come be in relationship with us through a man named Jesus. And he did. You see, there are only three people in the world outside of me who can refer to Dale or Marilyn Christian as my mom or my dad. There's only four of us in the entire world who can actually say, that's my mom. That's my dad. 
I'm the only person in the entire world who can refer to Heather Christian as my wife. There's only two, two boys in this entire universe who have ever existed who can say these words that Mark Christian is my dad. But every one of us in this room can say out loud with 100% confidence, he is my God. That's my father who's in heaven. You see, no other, Timothy Keller points this out brilliantly, no other religion in all of the world refers to their creator, their ruler as mine. Allah is not referred to as my Allah. But you and I get the privilege to, to break through transcendence and say this. He is my father, my redeemer, my Lord, my king. It says in Romans, so clearly, Romans eight fifteen, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, you probably know this, but the word Abba, I'm told, in its original language is a term of endearment. It's not quite, but sentimentally, it is daddy. And the God who created every ounce of water in the greatest ocean at its deepest depths, the one who put all the stars in the sky, the one who holds the snows in the heaven and praise God doesn't drop a lot of it here, that God calls you his and allows you to call him yours. He bridged the gap, the distance. And if you don't understand that in Christ you have a right to the power, glory, and presence of God, you've not understood the gospel. In fact, you've missed the best part of it. That that God is available to us. So what do we do? We need to discipline our hearts to experience the transcendence of God. You have to discipline your heart. See, I could have told you about the Holy Spirit, or I could have told you about things you have to do, but at the end of the day, the transcendent God is available to us to lead us every day, but he's not like the cookies we wanted that mom put on that top counter that until we were smart enough to figure out how to use a chair and the countertop, we couldn't reach him. It's not like it was put up there and God says, I can be available to you, but you have to go to a certain city, you have to do a certain set of experiences, you have to do this, you have to slaughter a bull, you have to do this, you have to do that, and then maybe I might show up and bless you. No, no, our God said, through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, I'm going to come into your presence every day and I'm available to you all the time. So if we really want guidance... We don't need to ask a lot of questions about how we're guided. We just need to put ourselves in the presence of the transcendent God. Verse 6 and 7. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadows of your wings. I remember you. I think of you. The word think is the word meditate. Translated from the original language, it would mean the concept of meditation. And it doesn't mean a singular thought. It means a reoccurring, repetitious thought. I love what the word meditate means. The illustration that I was given a long time ago, it's so gross, but it's, I love it because it's memorable. And years later, I can still talk about it. The word meditate is what a cow does with its cud. That makes me happy. I know a few things about cows. I know they're made of sirloin and T-bones, which I love. But outside of that, I'm told they have multiple stomachs. 
And that one of the things they do is they will begin to chew up the grass or hay or whatever they're eating, and they will swallow it into one of their stomachs, and then later they'll think about it again, and they'll bring it back up and begin to chew it again. They take everything out of it over and over and over. Do you understand what it means to think on the Lord? It means not to go, yeah, today's the day the Lord has gave me, and then go on with your day. To think on the Lord means to meditate. So it does include the reading of God's word, because in the word of God is the will of God. But it also means communicating with God in prayer and not asking God to fix your life, but simply saying what David prayed, Lord, if you're here, that's enough. And in between, it's living your daily life repeatedly, remembering who you are in the presence of God, holding on to that, enjoying that, knowing what your identity is. Because I think the greatest way to walk with God is to remember who he is and who you are in his eyes. Preacher tells the story of his 70-year-old son. He was putting him to bed one night. It was the night before he went to real school, first grade. And his son was very, very excited but very nervous. So his son knelt next to the bed as they were apt to do and he prayed a prayer and his dad said it sounded something like, God, tomorrow's the first day of school. I hope you won't lose me in the crowd. I'll listen to all the moms. Aw, the dads are like, knucklehead. And the dad thought it was cute, so he tucked his son into bed, kissed him on his head, and said, God won't forget you. And as he was leaving the room, his son said, hang on a second, Dad. And he completed his prayer with this. Dear God, I'll be wearing a red shirt. (laughs) Knowing who he is is the first step to knowledge and wisdom. Knowing who we are in his eyes is the first step to trusting the gospel. And do you know when you know who you are in God and you know who you are through Jesus and you know what God wants for you, it will silence the voices that are asking you to seek a transcendence that's not real. It will say that alcohol and drugs and the feelings they bring are not lasting, they're not real, they're not greater than life. That the feeling you get in relationships, a sexual relationship, is not what you're created for. It's not the end all of the game. Or how much money you have, or how much people think of you, that's not transcendent. When you die, you'll stop being thought of. When you die, Solomon says, all that you acquired in this world will be given to someone else who didn't earn it. None of those things transcends life. The only thing that transcends life is God Himself through Jesus Christ. And if Solomon's correct, and God has set eternity in the hearts of men, then you and I need to remember that, shouldn't we? And awaken every morning and every evening. When I turn 50, this isn't an exaggeration. I don't sleep as much. Now, I probably didn't sleep a lot previous. That's because I had plans, things I wanted to do, things I wanted to get done for the day. Now I wake up at 2.30 in the morning for no reason at all. And the younger me would have gone downstairs and watched YouTube or worked on a message or wrote something up or I'd been productive. Now I'm lazy and I didn't lay in bed. Do you know Why? Because I found the greatest prayer time of my life is in the midnight hour. In the, when sometimes I think God wakes me up and says, hey, I couldn't get your attention all day. Here's, let's talk. And we just lay in bed and I talk. I don't wake Heather up. But I'll flip and flop around and I get bored just like you. Michael told me not to quote him, but it's a great insight. If you're reading through the psalm with us right now, or you have times of prayer, some of us quit following through with those things because we're not, quote unquote, getting anything exciting out of it. Now, the question truly is, are those times making you closer to Jesus? Because if they are, 
you're not wasting a moment. If reading those five psalms every day, and you're like, ah, it's just too much, I, I, I'm not understanding all of it, it kind of overwhelms me, no, stop and pray through them, listening to the words. Does it make you more like Jesus? Does it remind you of who God is and who you are? And if the answer is yes, you won't spend a better moment of your day than that. Remember, know who you are. Meditate on him. Listen to what Colossians 3.1 says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think on the things that matter the transcendent truth of who God is and how Jesus closed the gap between his immensity and our simplicity. Think about it. And then think about it again. And hold on to it. And when the world offers you something that's not as good as God, let that go and hold on to God. Memorize the scriptures. Know what the word of God says about who God is. And when someone accuses God of being something you know he's not, speak up. I have friends in this world, and I've had people say to them, I think that guy's a jerk. I think that guy's an idiot. And I stop and go, you know what? You may think that, but that doesn't make it true. I've known that guy my entire life. I've done this with him. I've seen him do this. I see what kind of husband and father he is, and I defend my friends because I know their character. And when the world says that God's not enough, I think you and I need to stand up and say, I know different. I know that the God who created the entire universe cared enough about saving this one guy's soul and he cares the same about yours. Think, meditate, reflect, trust. Isaiah 62, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. I love that. And give him no rest. I like that even more. Till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her praise on the earth. Isaiah says, you know who he is. Spend time with him and watch him work. David says, my soul clings to you in the morning, throughout the day, all all the time I'll seek it. I know this sounds really silly, but one of my favorite things in the world is to ask Heather on Wednesday or Thursday, do we have anything this weekend? And every now and then, like once every 20 years, she goes, no. You mean we have all Saturday to ourselves? Yeah. Oh, I love those Saturdays. Those are sweatpants Saturdays, you know what I'm talking about? I'm not going anywhere, I'm not shaving, I may not even brush my teeth. We're just hanging out at home. And it's just the four of us, resting, relaxing, and doing what we want to do together. Do you know what it means to seek the guidance of God? It's to say to God, I got nothing going on today, you and me, sweatpants day. I'm going to be busy, God, I'm going to be going from here to here to here, but in all of that, God, I want to do it with you. I want to spend this day with you. And the transcendent, powerful God of the universe says, yeah. Verse five. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Open your mouth and watch God fill you with truth. I want to close with Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In just a moment, some people from our church are going to serve you a tray with a piece of bread and a little glass of juice. It represents what in the Passover would have Jesus identified as his body and his blood. Remember who he is and take the bread and the cup. 
Remember what he did. And most of all, remember who he did it for. If you don't know the answer to that last one, it's you. And what could be more important for the rest of your life than to remember who he is, what he did, and who he did it for? And while you're taking of these, there's going to be a question posted on the screen. If you want to think and meditate, sit with God in these few moments, take the bread and the cup, and think on these things, remembering who he is. Let's pray. Father, we receive what Jesus gave. And we are thankful that Jesus closed the gap between an almighty God and a broken, hurting, stubborn people, us. God, we know who you are. And we know what Jesus did. And we know why he did it. So today with gratitude, guide our hearts to remember the most important things that we might live in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.